One, two, three. Hello, everybody, and oh, wait, what episode is this? Oh my gosh, 15. Is it 15? That's was insane. Is it? I don't know. Okay, well, <laughs> welcome to episode 15 or 16. We're a little frazzled right now because we are remote recording. This is our first time. Happy holidays, because this is what happens when it's the holidays. You have to um, Google a lot of shit to get to <laughs> where you are. And saying a lot of what the fuck, what the fuck. <laughs> I know. But we figured it out. Ollie's all the way in Austin and I'm in San Antonio. So. Yes. Yeah. I'm looking at Here. Sam at a little screen. It's weird. I Yeah, this is not normal <laughs> at all. <laughs> I hope this is good lighting. I made sure to like pick a spot where my face wouldn't look too grotesque. So. Oh, I didn't even care. I was like, whatever. But your eyelashes look fabulous. Oh, thank you. Yes, I got them <laughs> done the other day. Or redone the other day. Oh, man. I don't even know what to talk about because I'm so frazzled with... Well, I do know what we can talk about because uh, I texted you about it today. Oh, yes, please. let us, You know, okay, so I have to... A little feedback on this whole recording remotely experience. I can't hear myself talk back. Mm-hmm. And typically, I can. So yes, um, no. Tell us all the spookiness that have ooh, that's been happening. Yeah. Um. So this episode is coming out right before New Year's, right? Thirtieth. So on the mini minisode that we put out, um, I was talking about if Ollie could see ghosts and like different ghost experiences, and I think I talked a little bit about the ghost I was having, the ghost issue I was having in my house. Correct. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? It's been a while since we recorded that. Yeah. No, I remember. Episode. Okay, yeah. Well, today I was doing laundry yet again. I just have to stop doing laundry, I think. Um, (laughs) And I did take a video when this happened to kind of like talk you guys through it. So when we post this episode, I'll also post the video I took. Um, But I had my closet door open and it was against a bunch of hangers and there's no way any airflow or anything can get back there. Well, this freaking mirror shook and it shook hard and it was on command strips. So that thing is not budging at all. And I kind of was like, okay, I'm going to give it a second. I'm just going to make it seem like I didn't notice it. And I moved the mirror back and there's a big old crack in my mirror. So (laughs) I don't know what the hell's going on. But it just shook out of nowhere. like Yeah, it just shook out of nowhere. And it wasn't the dogs roughhousing because I had the door to the living room open because my master bedroom goes to the living room. And they were just on the couch sleeping, so it wasn't them. So I don't know what the fuck's going Ooh, on. something's living in her closet. I guess. Who knows? And all I have in there is clothes and a, a cute little Dumbo stuffed animal that I got from a thrift store. But I've had that for years. I don't think that's haunted. Cute little Dumbo. Yeah, that probably would. I mean, if it was, like, all of that would have happened, like, at the time that you brought it home. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't like Texas. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Well, you've been here for a while. It should have been shaking things. Oh, wait, wait. It kind of did, though. Like, it kind of comes and goes. Yeah, I don't know. I think it likes, like, winter, like, November, December. Because when this started, it happened last November. So, I I don't know. But uh, I Amazon Prime some sage. So, that should be coming tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you... Don't you have to be careful with what kind of sage it is? I bought a whole bunch of different kinds, so I'll just burn all of it at once. There you go. Because the sage I have, I think Gabriel got it for me at a Planet K. Which, I mean, (laughs) the thought was there. It was very nice, but I don't know if it's real. (laughs) Yeah, who knows? If it works, it works. So I'm not going to judge it, but... ah. Ooh, maybe we can go to like a little like Edbidia in San Antonio and find some, ask them what they suggest. Yeah, that, we definitely should. Next time we get together and stuff like that, we'll definitely have to stop by and see. But um, because I've been trying to find some and there's just so many little shops. I'm I'm not familiar with San Antonio still. So you're going to have to direct me into the right places to go. Gotcha. Yeah, I know of one that's, I mean, yeah, it seems pretty legit and a great burger place across the street. So Ugh, you, you know, I love my burgers. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah stay tuned and we'll fill y'all in 
Definitely. Woohoo. I'm so excited. Well, that was weird. I've never. <laughs> you never what? Said woohoo. I, I don't know why I said woohoo. This thing is throwing me off so much. I feel like it reminds me of like the very first day we recorded and we were super nervous. So I, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> I, let's just get into our stories. Cause All right. <laughs> unless you yeah. have something to talk about. The only thing I have to talk about is, um, so for my Christmas present, Gabriel took me to, um, it's called Twisted Christmas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we drove out towards Bastrop, which is, we've talked about Bastrop before. Super, yeah. you know, the uh, with Rodney, Rodney Reed. Yes. Yeah. So we went out through there and, uh, but we kind of, went out towards the outskirts and i'm serious it was like pitch black like i like there was some christmas lights but that was about it like little uh ranches with christmas lights but other than that spooky yeah other than that's what gabriel kept saying he's like it looks really haunted out here (laughs) and we finally drove up to the location and it looked like i was about to drive into somebody's like house or yard or something and mm-hmm. I was really unsure, and I was like, this is probably, like, someone's house. But <laughs> it was actually, like, this big field with, like, a bunch of cars, and we parked, and we walked up to this um, kind of makeshift castle. Like yeah. Like, a person that constructed everything, like, constructed a castle. And you, oh, wow. Yeah, and you get your tickets, and then you walk through, you know, you walk through the gate, and there was this band that was playing, and then Christmas lights. Like, they decorated it, but it was still spooky. Like they had, mm-hmm. they had the Grinch walking around. They had oh. uh, these like demon-looking things on stilts walking around. It looked those are creepy. Yeah, it, well, I mean we took pictures, but Gabriel has the pictures, he, and I took a lot to post because um, let me see, there was a little gift shop in there also that said that they had a lot of haunted stuff. Ooh, like one was like the little haunted monkey. Do you know like the little monkey that the With toy the monkey? Things? Yeah. They had one. Oh. Of, they had one of those, and it was called. It's a ghost chimp. The original clapping chimp was manufactured by Dashin C.K. in the early 1950s under the name Jelly Chimp. You can identify the original Dashin 1950s version of the chimp by the creepy red rings around the eyes. Later versions um, from other toy makers copied the facial expressions, but often changed the toy's outfit and name. The original uh, CK Jolly Chimp gained the creepy nickname Ghost Chimp after many owners complained that the chimp would start banging his cymbals and screeching on its own. Several of the chimps verified that there were no batteries in the chimp and then it started screeching and clapping. When it started screeching and clapping. Yeah, so they had one of those and you can see that was a legit one because it has the red rings around the eyes. That's so cool. And I took... Yeah, plenty of pictures, and yeah, no, there were haunted houses, like, so you, you walk through, and there were, like, two little bars, like, there's bars, and this band that's playing, like, metal kind of music, like, rock and roll music, but to Christmas t- songs. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, and then, like, two bars, and then um, three haunted houses, so one was, like, Krampus, you go through, oh. and... And it's like, this person's been naughty. And <laughs> and then everybody throughout, like, all the little creatures throughout, like, knows your name. And is like, starts saying how naughty you are and that you're going to hell and all this. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm really not crazy about haunted houses. Like, mm-hmm. I just look down. I just look up. But I thought Gabriel was going to start swinging because... But that's how we spent our night last night. That I told them I was like, "This is fine. This is my Christmas present. This was tonight was perfect. It was so great." Um, but yeah, we went through there, and then on the way back home, we drove like we went through the back roads. So mm-hmm. it was very eerie. I mean, we had a great time, and I'm jealous. It sounded like a great time. It was, and whenever I had tagged where I was on Instagram, it said uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre gas station. I was like, what? Oh, oh, you were right by that? And I guess so. And I was like, wait, what does this mean? So, of course, on the way home, I Googled it. And, yeah, the, the, there was a gas station in Bastrop um, that was in the movie. Or the gas station in the movie is in Bastrop. And it was really close to where we were. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was my Christmas present. Creepy. Yeah, did creepy you get Christmas. any pictures of the gas station or no? No, no, because I didn't even know it was out there. I guess it was close, but everything was so dark. Like, even if we passed it, I wouldn't have noticed. 
We're going to have to make a special trip over there yes. and take a bunch of pictures and stuff. Yeah, they um, supposedly that place has a uh, Valentine's Day event where it's creepy. Like, every, <laughs> everything they do is creepy. That's so Like, it's cool. all – because I remember looking at, like, Eventbrite or something around Halloween, and it was, like, a location outside of Bastrop where they had, like, a haunted – something of another like a haunted night and or creepy whatever and it was the haunted houses and that was it so they uh-huh. they have a big one for halloween and then they have a christmas version and they said that they have one for valentine's day but they said last year was really really cold so they don't think they're gonna do it again because everybody likes to dress all scandalous uh-huh. but it's a masquerade theme Cool. If you're single, you wear, like, a certain colored mask. And if you're not, you, you wear a different mask, like, to kind of represent, like, the situation you're in. Is there a it's complicated mask? I, probably. I'm sure there's a mask <laughs> for everything. It's kind of like a gray gray area mask. <laughs> <laughs> that is so neat. We're definitely going to have to plan something for there. That's cool. Yeah, or, like, next Halloween or something because I know they have it for Halloween. Oh, Halloween must get crazy. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. But I know it was yeah. fun. They had beer, so. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So you said you drove? I drove. Yeah. No, I did. It's your Christmas present and you drove? I know. Well, Gabriel drives all day. <laughs> I know. I thought that too on the way because I hate driving. I hate driving with a passion. <laughs> but, I mean, for his job, he drives all day. So. Yeah, uh, yeah. I felt bad. I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll drive. I'm going to play that card on my I drive all day. I should be like, you should be driving, dude. Yeah, because when I worked in San Antonio, I would always say, like, I know how it feels. Like, I know how it feels to be driving all day. And I was just at the house. And, I mean, I went to the store to buy Christmas presents. But I wasn't out that long. So I would have felt bad if he drove all day and then drove after yeah for sure yeah oh um since this is after christmas what do you what do you have planned for christmas do you we didn't really talk about that for the christmas episode so oh yeah we didn't well after we record i'm driving to sonora (laughs) to see my family and then we're going to ballinger and then we're coming back i don't know (laughs) (laughs) your faces and all your faces i would just stay here if i could i gabriel was supposed to he said um hey i'm working i might be working christmas like what do you want to do and i thought that was the best idea ever i was like hell yeah let's just stay in for christmas Mm -hmm. but no he managed to get off so (laughs) (laughs) i i volunteered to work christmas eve and matt works christmas eve so i think christmas we're just gonna have like a low-key Christmas. Um, I did buy tickets to go see Star Wars, Ooh. so that's the only thing we're doing for Christmas Day. But that's a and good opening presents. That's a great Christmas. Oh, excuse yeah, me. nice and chill. Did you watch the new episode of The Mandalorian? Yeah, I haven't, so yes. don't tell me. Oh. <laughs> we started watching uh, the Don't Fuck with Cats. Oh, I heard it's really fucked. Like I already know about the case, so I don't want to watch it. But I've heard it's like super, super triggering for people watching it. So it's it's fucked. I mean, Gabriel complained the whole time but it was <laughs> fucked up they don't show actual footage of him with killing the cats right everything leading up to it okay. like they just don't okay. show the cats dying okay well, or the person that's... dying but still you still see him correct like <sighs> petting the cats and putting them into the bag and that's <laughs> the documentary is about this person killing cats and then it gets worse that's pretty much yeah. the lowdown yeah, i tr- i actually tried looking for the ice pick video and i just could not find it we well, should this was a couple years ago you tried, lo- huh? you tried looking for it yeah this was a couple years ago uh, i'm sure it's like gone gone by now if i try to look for it now I'm, but when i first heard of it i tried looking it up and I, I couldn't find it so i mean you'd be you'd be shocked with how easy you can find things like the other day i started looking for asap rocky sex video and i found it real quick Oh, yeah, I found that super quick, too. I, didn't, I wasn't looking for it. Uh, I was. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, there's that video. Oh, man, I know. Disappointing. Anyways, that's to- for another topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, are you ready to get into our story? Yes, as long as you go first. Okay, so <laughs> so we kind of have a theme this episode. Well, for- Do you want to tell me what the theme is? Badass women and drugs. drugs, right? Women and drugs. drugs. Lots of drugs. Well, <laughs> well, okay, okay. Backing up, we were just going to do, like, women and gang, like, cartel women. 
So yeah. mine's not really drug related, but it's like gang related. Hey, if it, okay? it fits, it fits. It fits, okay. Yeah, I'm not picky, whatever. So I am doing someone called the Cocaine Grandma. Okay, so my resources for Cocaine Grandma is the book Cocaine Cowgirl, the podcast Female Criminals, which is on the podcast podcast network, and they have some great informational podcasts. Like if you want like a very boring, well, I wouldn't say boring, <laughs> Matt calls them boring type of podcast because they're just information, information, information. Um, podcast does a great job with that. And I also got the website Biography, Rankers, and New York Times, and the Miami Herald. So who is the cocaine grandma? Um, Her name is actually Griselda Blanco, and she was born on February 15th. I keep hitting my glasses on the thing. (laughs) She was born February 15th in 1943 in uh, Cartagena, Colombia. And her mother was Alana Lucia Restrepo. Um, she was a farm worker and they aren't quite sure who her father is. Uh, it's believed that her father is either Fernando Blanco Blanco or a taxi driver named Luis Carlos Blanco, who could be her stepdad or just her dad. Like I said, we just don't know. Um, she was baptized in Santa Marta, in, which is four hours up the coast from Cartagena, and she has three younger siblings. In 1946, she moved to Medellin, uh, in the Barrio Trinidad neighborhood. They lived, it was a poor neighborhood and it was filled with migrant workers and it said that her mother picked the area due to brothels and easy sex work. In 1948, at five years old, um, La Violencia, it was a 10-year war that broke out and it forced her to grow up super quickly. Like, it was a huge life or death situation. Uh, Colombia was in a state of, state of ruin. There was 200 to 300,000 deaths and 600 to 800,000 injured in fighting. And just to kind of put that in perspective, there was about a 10 million population in 1946 in Colombia. So this was a huge, huge amount of people just getting hurt and dying. Um, the media was even scared to report accurately out of fear that they were going to get some retribution or something from either side. And it's no surprise that this had a huge negative effect on Griselda and she began to pickpocket with a group of other children but it was slow work they were just trying to get money as quickly as possible and it just it it was tough so when she was 11 she came up with a new plan she scouted a 10 year old boy from a wealthy neighborhood and her and her gang kidnapped the boy and held him for ransom she was 11 like this is insane um they tied him up and hid him in the mountains and the rest of her gang went to go to the parents to ask for money but they were turned away when griselda found out that her gang was turned away she grabbed a gun and shot the boy dead she was 11 when she committed her first murder like that that blows my mind yeah i mean she had to grow up so quick she was just surrounded by death and awfulness so i i'm not surprised that she kind of turned towards violence but it's just it just blows my mind you know like the difference in Colombia and here and just different parts of the world it's really sad so we're going to kind of talk about her growing up she denies a lot of this information um so not long after this murder it is said that she turned to sex work and here's where she met her first husband um and they're not sure on his true name it's either Carlos Trujillo or Jose Dario Trujillo and they met when she was 13 in 1956 and he was a known smuggler known for fabricating immigration paperwork and at 14 she ran away from home and it is said because one of her mother's boyfriends was sexually abusing her so she ended up running away she married Trujillo and they had three sons when she was about 17 when she had her first son Dixon uh, she then had Uber and then Oswaldo And they divorced in the late 1960s, but divorce wasn't legal, so they might have never even been married, or they just went their separate ways without filing for anything. Like I said, we really don't know. He had an untimely death in the 1970s, and some people believe from hepatitis, but others believe Griselda killed him herself. From here, she became really close to one of Shahilo's friends, Alberto Bravo, who ran a drug trafficking trade. In 1970s, uh, her and a friend flew out to Bolivia to buy $500 worth of unrefined cocaine for Bravo. They smuggled it back to Colombia, and on her next trip, she flew out with $5,000. That's a That's shit a ton of, of cocaine money. to buy with $5,000. Yes. Um, and she did this trip by herself. So she brought, she went to go buy all this stuff in Bolivia, and she came back with by herself with all this cocaine. Um, but she knew from the top that women were seen as naive and innocent, and a woman could never smuggle drugs or do anything. So she used it to her advantage. Uh, she was extremely intelligent in this aspect. 
And she worked her way up, and she went from a drug mule to a partner to, to a partner to Bravo. And the DEA said at their height, they had over 600 employees. And they eventually began a relationship and got married in 1971. And this is when they began to expand into the U.S. Okay, so Griselda, like I said, she was extremely intelligent. She had this amazing idea to sew cocaine into her drug mule's clothing. So she had special corsets made, girdles, panties. They were filled with pockets, um, and she even had fake breasts made just to fill with the stuff. Oh, wow. That's smart. She was so smart. They used this as a front, and they even opened a luxury lingerie shop in Queens, New York, where they made these clothing items. So they could kind of hide it with this front of the shop of, oh, look at all this luxury. Like, she thought of everything. But it didn't always work, and one of her corsets was even found abandoned in a bathroom with seven pounds of cocaine in Miami's International Airport. And all these pounds of, uh, like, all the seven pounds were, I think, spread out through, like, 58 different pockets Mm -hmm. in the corset. So it's insane. Well, I guess I can kind of see that, like, with the ribs, like, if it was those corsets with the wired ribs, plastic ribs, Mm -hmm. and you can just kind of make pockets through each little part of it. I mean, it would just look like you're a little thick. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But with all the talkies, you could easily evenly disperse it. So, yeah, I mean, you could easily get away with it. In the in 1971, they set up a drop they set up drop-off points in New York and she paid off everyone she could, including airport workers to make sure things ran smoothly. They had a state to claim all over New York and Madrid and they were moving 1 million dollars worth of cocaine every 6 months, which doesn't seem like a lot for a cocaine business but they were just starting they were like one of the first um big cocaine cartel dealers and they were still building up their business in 1973 the u.s started the dea to kind of crack down on everything like that and they started operation banshee and they named it banshee due to all the women involved (laughs) october 1974 feds put out arrest warrants and they arrested 150 people involved that same October month. So of course Griselda and her Bravo fled back to Madrid and at this time Griselda met a carjacker named Pablo Escobar and he was seven years younger and she provided the cash for his first cocaine purchase but she would come to regret that. So like she took him under his wing like she started Pablo Escobar and a lot of the research I did was like oh she's like the female Pablo Escobar she came before Pablo yeah. Escobar and he's yeah. like the the male her <laughs> yeah yeah exactly her prodigy um, but they be- yeah 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 essentially and they began to hate each other he was too successful he was too successful and he was becoming the wealthiest drug lord of all time and she just she couldn't have that she didn't want that type of competition which i think this is kind of where she fucked up i think she should have teamed up with him because she ended up inviting him to a meeting but uh, when he realized that none of the cars had license plates he realized it was a setup so for the rest of their lives they kept trying to put hits out on each other and at this (laughs) meeting they shot at pablo but he was able to escape and there was like a big old shootout and eventually Pablo would become far too powerful and kick her out of Madrid in 1975. And with that, she fled to Bolivia. Yeah, Bogota. So after being uprooted, she became super paranoid. I mean, she lost her hometown. She lost her base. Pablo had just taken over everything. So she had her husband's brother killed, and Bravo was starting to doubt Griselda. He started hiding money and keeping it from her, and he ended up being killed in a shootout. Now, Griselda swears it was the work of Pablo Escobar, but others say that Griselda and Bravo were supposed to be having a meeting that night, and her and her bodyguard shot Bravo and his bodyguards dead. With two husbands dead, she was now nicknamed the Black Widow, but he wasn't her last husband. Uh, She did end up having another son who she named Michael Corleone Blanco, which is a nod to the movie Godfather, because she loved Godfather. (laughs) And when she got the nickname uh, La Madrina like the godmother Mm -hmm. she just she ate it up like it was she that was her favorite movie of all time um and she had this son with her third husband dario sepulveda they did end up divorcing though and after they separated they got into a custody dispute that led to him kidnapping mike uh michael and taking him to Colombia. rather than go through the court system to get him back Griselda simply hired a hitman to take take him out, and her son was returned to her in Miami. And it said that Dario was murdered right in front of Michael. Like, there was just mm. no fucks given. 
Um, but I mean, at this point, all of her kids were in the drug trade. All of her kids were surrounded by all this. It's stated in some articles that, and in the podcast, female criminals, that they would even discuss like murder plots and hits right in front of Michael and all the other kids. Yeah, you so, kind of, I feel like when you're in that work, you kind of expect that. Griselda probably should have been paranoid because in 1975, after authorities intercepted and reported 150 kilograms of cocaine, Griselda and more than 30 of her partners were indicted mm-hmm. on federal drug conspiracy charges. Uh, Griselda had already fled to Colombia by that point, but it wasn't long before she returned to the U.S., this time settling in Miami. In the 1980s, Blanca was living in her home, her brand new home in Miami, and at this point, her and her sons had become millionaires. They had supposedly earned $80 million a month through her Medine cartel. And at the height, I think they were earning almost like $2 billion. Like Good boy. They were set. A billion with uh, like a B? Yes, with a B. Jesus. Like, yeah, she was like top dog. And she had always managed to evade authorities, but her luck finally ran out on February 1985 when she was captured by DEA agents in Irvine, California. At this point, she was linked to dozens of murders. Griselda's trial, which began in New York in June 1985, ended with a conviction on one count of conspiracy to manufacture import into the united states and distribute cocaine despite being accused of several florida slings she escaped murder charges and was sentenced to 15 years behind bar behind bars in 1994 griselda was now a federal prison inmate and was transported back to miami on three murder charges in a strange turn of events however the charges the case was thrown out the star witness in the case a former hitman for blanco named Jorge Rivia Isla had become romantically involved with a secretary in the Florida State Attorney's Office, causing prosecutors to worry about the credibility of Isla's testimony on stand. Some speculated that Isla botched the case on purpose, fearing that he could be killed by members of Griselda's cartel if he testified. But Griselda did end up pleading guilty to the three murder charges and followed a deal with prosecutors, so she only received a 10-year sentence for that. She still ran her cartel from prison with (laughs) all her connections. So, even behind bars, she was still running everything. That's crazy. Yeah. In June 2004, she was released from prison and deported back to Colombia. So, I know I talked a lot about the murders. I'm not going to skip over them. I just wanted to get through that before I told you about two big ones. So, authorities went on record estimating that she was responsible for 40 deaths, but others pegged that the number was around 200 victims. If someone double-cost... If someone double-crossed her, annoyed her, or um, a member of the rival cartel or smuggling business had a, like, looked at her the wrong way or whatever, she would send out a hit on them. At one point, her bloody exploits filled the Miami morgue with so many bodies that coroners had to rent a refrigerated 40-foot trailer from a nearby Burger King to hold them all. One of these hits was ordered on Jesus Castro, but it went haywire. Amidst a car chase where Griselda had ordered a drive-by on Jesus's car, unknown to the men, Johnny Castro, Jesus's two-year-old son, was in the car. Mm. Not only that, but he was in uh, Jesus's arms as he drove, and he was kind of, like, sleeping on him. So his head was on Jesus's shoulder, and when they went to go shoot his dad, they shot him twice in the head. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so little Johnny died, and because Jesus was wanted by the police, he couldn't go to them. Instead, his body was placed where police could find him, and he was bathed, clothed, and adorned with roses and wrapped in sheets. And this comes back, and this is one of those charges that she did end up pleading guilty to because they just could not let it go. Like, this was so traumatic. And Blanco's former lieutenant, Jorge Isla, who we had talked about before, told police at first she was real mad because we missed the father, but then when she heard we had gotten the son by accident, she said she was glad that they were even. So do you want to know why she sent out the fucking hit? Sure. <laughs> yes, why? <laughs> you got me at the worst moment. <laughs> yes, tell me. Give it to me, Sam. What? <laughs> okay, so Jesus had gotten a fight with one of her sons and told him to leave the house. That's that's why she sent out the hit. That's so crazy how I mean people in this kind of this line of work, they just seem so sensitivo. I know. <laughs> like one little thing <laughs> triggers them. 
Yeah, basically. And it's sad that she decided, oh, you disrespected my son by kicking him out of your own house. Now I'm going to kill your son and it's even. Like, that is ridiculous to me. not even close. (laughs) No, it's not. But in her mind, it was. Um, She was also linked to the daytime 1979 submachine attack at Didlin Mall that shocked Miami. Two men in white Mercedes Benz and two other men in white Ford van in a white Ford van pulled up to the Crown Liquor store at Dadeland Mall in Miami. The two men were disguised the two men in the van were disguised in Happy Time Party Supply logoed vans and they opened fire on the men in the bends. After the bloody shootout that left the mall shoppers terrified, two men from, the two men from the Mercedes lay dead in the liquor store and the liquor store clerk lay wounded outside. So she didn't even care about like civilians getting hurt mm. if it didn't matter to her. Um, and Griselda came up with the concept of drive-bys. So this was her invention. Before then, people didn't really do it. Um, and it then involved into motorcycle drive-bys. And ironically, it's one of the ways she was killed. On September 3rd, 2012, at age 69, Blanca was at a butcher shop in Medellin, Colombia. After having bought $150 worth of meat, a middle-aged gunman climbed out of the back of a motorbike outside the shop, entered, and pulled out a gun and shot griselda twice before calmly walking back to his bike and disappearing into the city no one was ever caught for the crime but it is suggested that pablo escobar might have called the hit but i don't believe he took claim to that at all and throughout her span um two of her three sons basically only one of her sons ended up alive so all the other sons died and all that so wait three out of wait three ended up alive out of how many again so she had four kids Mm mm-hmm Three of them died, so only one was left. I think that's Michael. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So by that point, she was just, she was in it. And I kind of skimmed over the fact that once she got out of jail, Pablo had just took hold in Miami, and she just couldn't no longer be a supplier going back and forth because Pablo owned all of that. So she kind of just locally was selling to people in Miami or in New York or wherever she was. So she was no longer exporting it, and it really threw her off the game, her game. So towards the end, she Pablo really took over, and she was just kind of like, she still made a, a good amount, but it was nowhere near where she was mm-hmm. when she was at the top. Hmm. That's so interesting because you always hear about Pablo, and obviously they're movies tv shows it's i mean women get him his picture on their nails even he's nail art i know which i know i know it's crazy i um, don't and condone. Chris- <laughs> huh? i said i do not oh condone. yeah <laughs> <laughs> what was i gonna say yeah but even like the articles it was always pablo she was like the female pablo and it's like she taught pablo don't don't forget that but i mean she did some horrific awful crimes, so she's not like someone that you should ever look up to at all you know, I mean, she she called out a hit that killed a two-year-old boy, and I'm sure she killed so many other young children. Like, I mean, like that kid she murdered when she was 11. Yeah. So. And yeah. just uh, I was gonna say something else though. I don't remember. I'll, I'll put it in an update. <laughs> <laughs> it slaps me. <laughs> but I know that was a lot of dates. No, so no. I hope everyone was able to follow by. Y'all are gonna. Uh, but no, the pe- the the female criminals really goes like in depth in depth on everything and like the psychology of her and all that so if you want like a more thorough they did a two-part it was like over an hour on her wait and which podcast was this again uh female criminals and it's on the podcast network p-a-r-c-a-s-t okay i'll probably text you on my way to sonora uh (laughs) so i can listen to it because yeah i really like to know like the psychology behind it because so whenever you were talking about it, I was thinking what made her different from Pablo. Like, was it those kind of um, more male-ish, ten- like, or masculine tendencies that he had that made him more, like, dominant and more forceful? Or was it just the fact that she was a woman and more people gave Pablo credibility than her, you know? Like, I don't know if you, co- or, like, heard any coverage on that yeah i'm trying i think she really lost her grip once he kicked her out of medin because that was like her main base Mm -hmm. and once he kicked her out it was like oh look at all this stuff that pablo's done and all this stuff pablo's accomplished and she kind of got thrown to the side so i think because she was a woman um the fact that he now took over all this land and he took over even more he just became more prominent yeah and i know territory is really important that's probably part of it yeah but yeah that was my story yeah good job thank you i learned something new always learn something new i'm excited for your story all right so do not 
you're gonna have to bear with me because I'm just gonna act like I know what I'm saying. <laughs> in these I'm pronunciations, just munch on some tamales and nod my head. In these pronunciations, um, so we are going to India for this, and my sources are BBC News, um, lots of YouTube channels, and oh my god, I'm just now noticing that this was so long ago. I'm going to have to go and dig all these sources back up because <laughs> I remember I had all my tabs up. I had like tons of tabs up and then I think I just exited all out. So I'm going to have yeah. to dig back up. But for sure, BBC News was huge. And I use a lot of, of course, Wikipedia for this for pronunciation purposes, because since this since this is an Indian based story and person, it was really hard to find channels and videos um, and articles in English. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Today I'm talking about Fulandevi. And Fulandevi is something made for the movies. Like she, well, she actually was made into a movie. She had a movie based on her life in 1994. Can I tell you, I just started a podcast on her and I stopped it. Uh. I had just gotten home yesterday. What? <laughs> so I'm super excited. Oh my god, what podcast? Because I'm have to listen to it. Because I didn't listen to a podcast for this. Like, I think it was Paracat. I think the female criminals does her too. Oh my I'm pretty gosh. Sure. Perfect. Well, this is perfect. I'll link you. I'll link you. Awesome. <laughs> um, but no, it was made in... Okay, so her life was made into a political drama in 1994. And yeah, I mm-hmm. said that right. Political because she was a political figure. And we'll get into that later. Um, I don't want to spoil it. So let's just get into it. Fulan was born into a poor family in the outskirts of Uttar Pradesh in 1963. At a very young age, Fulan did not settle into the gender-conforming rules that challenged her. Out of all of her siblings, only her and her sister survived into adulthood. Patriarchal rules started to set in once Fulan's paternal grandfather passed away when she was 11 years old. So here we go. That's another person who the age of 11 was, you know pivotal but super young but these people had to be super mature fulan's male cousin began to take over decisions on their land which was once owned by her paternal grandfather as and he decided to remove a tree from this from their small amount of acreage which in their culture and to them was a really big deal like you should not remove any trees you shouldn't you know leave it as is and Fulan, you know, got pissed off about this and she protested this decision by taunting, publicly humiliating and beating her cousin. Oh, she gave no fucks. No, absolutely not. And her last act of protesting the issue was an organized sit-in known as Dharna. So Fulan was eventually dragged home and beaten unconscious with a brick. With a fucking brick by her own family. That's crazy. For acting against her cousin. Damn. So when I have a kid and they start whining about their lives at age 11, I swear I'm going to read them all about her life and they'll probably think twice because <laughs> it only right. it only gets worse from here. Ugh. Oh, yeah, take a little sip of water. I'm not ready. <laughs> <laughs> so months after the incident with Fulan's cousin, her parents married her off to a man three times her age who lived hundreds of miles away from her home. She suffered continuous beatings and sexual abuse at the hands of her so-called husband. And after several attempts of running away, she was returned to a family in quote-unquote disgrace. Her cousin, at this time, after she was returned back uh, by her husband, so-called husband, ugh, like, oh God, I just, it gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about an old man trying to marry like a young 11 year old child but anyways her cousin i know in retaliation for all of the humiliations that he suffered and to teach her a lesson he went to the local cops and accused fulan of stealing small items belonging to him including a gold ring and a wristwatch the cops who belonged to nearby villages knew fulan and her family and they did what the family wanted they kept Fulan in jail for three days, physically abused her, and then left her off with a warning to behave better in the future and to live quietly without quarreling with her family or with others. So this was kind of a nudge, like, I know your family, so you're getting off easy. 
which really isn't easy because you're in jail for three days and you're being beaten. Yeah. And her cousin was an asshole too. Like, let it go, dude. That and the family also supported was this. okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. But I hope she beat his ass again. <laughs> After Fulan was released from jail, her parents once again wanted to send her to her husband. Send her to her husband. They approached Fulon's in-laws with the plea that she was now 16 years of age. So this was, you know, years later. Therefore, old enough to begin cohabiting with her husband. So that made Ugh. me think, like, I should have dug in deeper after I read this. But, like, is there, if you're only 11, do you stay with your parents but you're married? Like, you kind of have a whole, it's <laughs> like a layaway policy. Because um, yeah. now that you're 16, or now that she was 16, she was able to go cohabitate with her husband hmm. they initially refused to take Fulan back however they <laughs> they were themselves very poor Fulan's husband was now 38 years old and it would be very difficult to find another bride for him especially with one wife still living Fulan Ugh. I just rolled my eyes I know like... <laughs> divorce was simply out of the question in that society and after Fulan's family offered generous gifts, they finally agreed to take her back. Fulon's parents performed the ceremony of Gwana, or after which a married woman begins to cohabitate with the husband, uh, took Fulon to her husband's house and left her there. With a few months, Fulon, this time no longer a virgin, again returned to her parents. Shortly afterwards, her in-laws returned the gifts that Fulon's parents had given them and sent word that under no circumstance would they accept Fulon back. This one was in 1979, and Fulon was only a few months past her 16th birthday. So she did not last there long. No. <laughs> she no. later claimed in her autobiography that her husband was a man of very bad character. No shit. <laughs> I mean, you didn't have, yeah. I didn't have to read her auto to know that. Oh, why? So, oh, so what's up? Sorry. Um, so I know in like their culture, like virginity is a big thing. Did she face any backlash for being returned again now not being a virgin? Do you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume that it was kind of a given that if you're married and you're returned, because that's kind of like the whole reason like divorce is so shameful because yeah. you're no longer a virgin and you've been returned by your husband. Or your husband no longer wants you. Like, if you're married once, that's supposed to be, like, it. Like, you give your virginity to this man, and that's it. So if you're mm-hmm. divorced, then, oh, you're kind of dirty. You know, you're kind of tarnished already, which is super fucked up. I hate that thinking so I know. Much. The whole idea of virginity is just a very weird construct, if you think about it. Uh, so a wife leaving her husband or being abandoned by her husband is a serious taboo. So kind of what we were just talking about in mm-hmm. rural India. And Fulan was marked as a social outcast. So yeah, one and done. Once you've been divorced, you're kind of ostracized. Um, and as mentioned before, Fulan grew up in poverty. The area she lived in was arid with not much opportunity for work around um, it was common for men to travel to the nearest cities to find employment. Along with this came men joining together to plunder the more prosperous locations of the area. In 1979, the same year as Fulan's 16th birthday, the very big year for Fulan, <laughs> she fell in love with a bandit. So this is kind of where things take a turn. Ooh. It is unclear if she was kidnapped or if she just found the bandit's lifestyle glamorous. But in her book, she simply stated it was because of fate. So romantic. Fulan had had immediate cause for regret. The gang leader, Baba Gujar, raped and brutalized her for three days. At Aww. this time, Fulan was saved from rape by Vikram Mala, the second in command of the gang, who belonged to Fulan's own Malak uh, caste. So I started going into, like, when we talk about, like, the caste or caste, those are kind of like the separate gangs and separate areas of like India, the area that she lived in, because it was very um, affiliate, like you were affiliated with like the area and the region that you lived in. Mm-hmm. In the altercation, the uh, wait, wait, in the altercation connected to the rape, Vikram Mala killed Baba Gujar, so the opposing gang member. The next morning, he assumed leadership of the gang. 
soon after her relationship with Vikram took place. So here she is. She's she falls in love with the bandit. He's part of this gang. And and then she ends up being brutalized and raped. And then this other game gang member, part of the same gang, uh, kind of saves her and, mm-hmm. you know, kills the other guy to come into power. And now she's in love with him. So it's kind of like a it's all in the same circle. Do you think maybe it was like a little bit of like Stockholm syndrome or do you think? Yeah, she... no, that's a good that is a good um, theory for that. I mean, here she was. She was already in a bad situation with her husband and looking for something new. And she was kind of known to be very vocal and a little violent. You know, she's willing to do whatever it takes for what she believes in. And then here, this this group of bandits are kind of, they kind of have the same, the same motives and the same, the same ways as she does. So it is kind of easy to see, or like, I could see how, even though she's kind of suffering the same kind of brutality and violence, she it mistakes it. Yeah, it's a way out, but she kind of mistakes that for love. Um, yeah, okay. Where am I? Oh, yeah. Undaunted, okay, so soon after her relationship with Vikram took place, uh, undaunted by the fact that Vikram already had a wife, uh, she <laughs> and that she likewise had a husband, Oh, yeah, she still had a husband. You know, she still wasn't divorced. <laughs> Fulon and Vikram began cohabiting together. And then here's where things get crazier. <laughs> a few weeks later, the gang attacked the village where Fulon's husband lived. Dun, dun, dun. Fulon herself dragged him out of his house and stabbed him in front of villagers. The gang oh, let shit. him... Uh, left him lying almost dead by the road with a note warning older men not to marry young girls. And I say, fuck yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, sorry. <laughs> I, like, I don't hate that. I don't, so. yeah, I don't well, I condone violence too much, but it's also not the worst. <laughs> I'll let it slide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll allow it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, fuck you. <laughs> Her husband survived, but carried a scar running down his abdomen for the rest of his life. Due to this incident, and because he legally remained Fulan's husband, the man was never able to marry again. He lived his life as a recluse because most people in the village began avoiding his company out of fear for the ban- of the bandits. So, hell yeah. Like, that's really smart yeah. of her not to divorce him because then he couldn't get married again. So, he's just going to have to live with being... Uh, poor and with his own income and no like dowry from another family and everybody karma yeah and everybody knows who he's associated with and what happened to him okay so this kind of backtracking if to when vikram killed the head dog of the bandits originally remember those two gangs or the two gang members kind of rivaling well two of his loyal followers the one that was murdered was released from prison to find Vikram had killed their leader. Enraged, a scuffle happened. Fulan accused them of assaulting her and uh, they had to apologize to Fulan. So they came out and they were just like pissed and she like pointed blame to them. And this became like the the device of the gang. Like because of this, the gang started kind of splitting up and taking sides. Uh, Vikram Mala then suggested that the gang be divided into two, one comprising mainly of Rajputs, I guess this, uh, um, and let me, okay, so like the counterparts of the Malas, so they're kind of, they're kind of, um, dividing now. The opposing side refused the suggestion. Meanwhile, the other Malas were not happy with Vikram Mala, so like kind of like his, his people started becoming, Uh, displeased with him and his leadership the fact that he alone had a woman cohabitating with him incited jealousy some of other malas had bonds of kinship with vikram's actual wife so they knew eh, they weren't happy with this kind of like a side chick thing going on yeah Um, and fulon's tongue did not endear her to anyone who interacted with her you know because she kind of had a foul mouth a few days after the proposal for division had been float had been floated a quarrel ensured between uh Sri Ram and Vikram Mala so another another gang member <laughs> they were let, later tracked down and Vikram Mala was shot dead Fulan was taken by Vic, 
victorious faction to the Rajput domination dominated village of Bemi, home to Sri Ram. And this word, I'm like, all these words are getting crazy. Uh, so yeah, she, her lover was killed, and then she was taken to um, the opposing side's village. Fulan was locked up in a room in one of the houses in uh, the village. She was beaten, raped again, and humiliated by succession of several upper uh, upper members of like the opposing gang over a period of three weeks. Jeez. Yeah. Again, I mean, man, the things that this woman has gone through. In a final, um, in a, you know, in a, I don't even know how to say this. In like a, like a last ditch. A last, last form of torture. They paraded her naked around the village. Ugh. She then managed to escape after three weeks of captivity with the help of the, um, with help of like the lower level uh, gang members and two Mala members from Bikram's gang, including Man Singh Mala. So, I mean, people that still sided with her lover, like, helped her escape. Well, that's good. At least she had some people on her side. Yeah, no, you're right. This is totally Stockholm syndrome because after that, Fu Long and Man Singh, the one who helped her escape, became lovers. <laughs> <laughs> and joint leaders of a gang composed solely of Malas, so mostly um, people of her ex lovers, like following, like they all form their own gang. The gang carrying mm-hmm. the gang carried out a series of violent raids and robberies ac- um, across the area, usually target targeting upper class people. Some say that Fulon targeted only the upper class people and shared the loot with the lower class people. So we kind of see that that Robin Hood-esque like, storyline and um, legend kind of built around yeah. here. Uh, but Indian authorities claim that this is a myth. There's no evidence of Fulon or her partners in crime sharing money with anyone, whether low class or, or not. Do you think she did? I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I believe, like, in areas, like, when we talk about, like, South America and gang members who do share the wealth, like, that I believe because you can actually record that and you know, like, there is some written record of this. But, I mean, it could also be the government here burning all records of that, not recording any notable history or proof you know, to kind yeah, of yeah. keep her power down. Because as we've seen in, like, the uh, the first episode we had, like, that Robin Hood-esque um, following is very powerful. Well, even with, like, Pablo Escobar, like, oh my people gosh. worshipped yes. him, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I could totally see them, like, discarding records to be like, no, she was selfish and she would never help anyone else, you know? Yeah, to keep her from gaining more power. Yeah. Um, so several months after her escape of, from, like, the rivaling gang, Fulan returned to the village to seek revenge. <laughs> She's all about that revenge. I love it. Um, on the evening of February 14th, 1981, at a time when a wedding was in progress in the village, Fulan and her gang marched into the area dressed as police officers. Fulan oh, demanded that her tormentors... Uh, Sir Ram and Lala Ram, to be exact, be produced, like be handed over. Uh, the two men could not be found. And so uh, they were rounded up. They rounded up all the young men in the village and stood them in a line before a well. They were then marched to file to the river. At a green embankment, they were ordered to kneel. There was a burst of gunfire and 22 men lay dead. Damn. So they fucking killed everybody. <laughs> It said that the manhunt was not successful because Fulan had the support of poor people in the region. Uh, stories uh, on the Robin Hood model began circulating in the media. Fulan began to call the ban- or began to be called the Bandit Queen, and she was glorified by sections of Indian media as like the underdog struggling to survive in the world. So, I mean, <laughs> we keep talking about this kind of trend. Like, if there's a group of um, like lower class people and they see somebody that they can identify with kind of pulling up from all their struggles being successful and giving back to their community that's such a strong narrative yeah yeah 
Um, so, but two years after the massacre at the at the wedding, the police had still not captured Fulan, and they were out for the hunt. The government decided to negotiate a surrender. By this time, Fulan was in poor health, and most of her gang members were dead. Some having died at the hands of police, and some at the hands of rival gangs. In February of 1983, said so she was in poor health, but she was she had to be. Let's see. 23 in February of 1983. Yeah, February 1983. Um, maybe poor health for just like the conditions she was living in. Mm-hmm. Since she was hiding. Um, but that's not very old. I mean, I'm 26 and I feel like she's probably in better health than I. Than I, I don't know. I'm 23. My back hurts. My <laughs> knee hurts. hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not running away from the government. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> she agreed to surrender to authorities in 1983. She also insisted that she would lay down her arms only before the pictures of Gandhi and the Hindu goddess Durga, but not to the police. Yeah, you go, girl. <laughs> and then she laid. She gives no. Fucks. She laid down for further conditions. One, a promise that the death penalty would not be imposed on any members of her gang who surrenders. Two, the term for the other members of the gang should not exceed eight years. Oh, okay. Three, a plot of land to be given to her. (laughs) Four, her entire family should be escorted by the police to witness her surrender ceremony. An unarmed police chief met her at the rendezvous in the Shambai ravines. They traveled to Bind and... Madhya Pradesh, sorry, where she laid down her rifle before the portraits of Gandhi and the goddess Durga. The onlookers included a crowd of, of around 10,000 people and 300 policemen. Oh, man. Fulan was charged with as many as 48 crimes, including 30 charges of banditry and kidnapping. Her trial was delayed for 11 years, during which the time she remained in prison, as in during the time she remained in prison. And then during this period, she was operated on for ovarian cysts and underwent a hysterectomy. So maybe that's when that's why like her health was declining was because she was suffering um, with all these ovarian cysts because those are a doozy. Uh, the doctor yeah. of the hospital reportedly joked that we don't want Fulan Devi breeding more Fulan Devis. <laughs> I don't know why I like I kept that because I liked it. Uh, she was finally released on parole in 1994 after her intercession um, by the leader of the Nershada community, another name for the Malad. So the kind of the community of like Fisher folkmen where that gang derived from. So it's kind of the same area. The government of Uttar Pradesh, led by Yad. Mm, scratch that the government i'm gonna say <laughs> yadar pradesh withdrew all cases against her this move sent shockwaves across india and became a matter of public discussion and controversy so here's this woman who's committed heinous crimes who is a straight up bandit gang member gang leader like straight up straight up like og they have her in custody and then the government's like nah like we're wiping her clean uh, so, <laughs> so people were pissed and then this time she got married again she got married to Anmed Singh Anmed Singh fought so he was on the 2004 and 2009 Indian National Congress ticket so this time she got herself a politician and wait wait so did she divorce the other dude did the other dude die they, do we know what happened no records anymore he's gone okay. he's gone I mean by then he was let's see 30s 50 he had to be in his 60 no 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 80s by this time in 2004 okay, so he's probably gone yeah because in the 70s he was 30 in his late 30s mm-hmm. and then 70s so 30 years later 40 70 yeah he's almost 80 yeah nobody okay, okay. nobody wanted anything to do with him so yeah who knows he doesn't matter anymore. i wonder I that's curious. a good question like when it comes to like um filing for you know your marriage license and all of that like don't you think it would come up in the system like hey you're already married <laughs> like you have this I thing wonder to if take when they, care like, of i wonder if when they give her like the clean record if they're like oh and you were never married you know they cleaned like everything yeah good yeah. question hmm. i'll 
note that for the update. So we mentioned that she got married, but we're also going to jump back to 1995, one year after she was released. Fulan was invited by Dr. Ramados uh, to participate in the conference about in a conference about alcohol prohibition and woman pornography, which I kind of want to go back and like reread what her opinions were about all of that. This is her first conference or like outing after her release, which began her Indian politics. She contested the election as a member of the Samajwadi Party of Sangerov, whose government had withdrawn all cases against her and released her from prison. So the people that, you know, kind of got her out of jail and exonerated her, she became affiliated with them um, publicly and in regards of politics. And then she won the election and served as, and this, <laughs> why do I keep forgetting? Member of Parliament, God damn it, MP. <laughs> <laughs> she won the election and served as a member of Parliament during the term through 1996 and 1998. She lost her seat in 1998, in the 1998 election, but was reelected in 1999. And was a seating member of Parliament when she was assassinated. Oh, she was killed. Yeah, so we're getting into that now. And this is kind of like oh, the no. end. The end of our story. This is sad. At 1.30 p.m., July 26, 2001, Debbie was shot dead by three masked gunmen outside of her Delhi bungalow. She was hit nine times in the head, chest, shoulder, and right arm. Her personal security guard was shot in his right chest and arm, who returned fire with a 9mm And that when the gunmen fled the scene. They abandoned the car midway and boarded an auto rickshaw. Debbie was taken to a nearby hospital but was declared dead. The prime suspect was later surrendered to the police. The prime suspect was Sheer Singh Rana, and Rana allegedly claimed to have murdered Debbie in revenge of the upper-class men she gunned down in the Bimai massacre, which was the massacre that took place at the wedding. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> but yeah, let it go, man. Let it go. I mean, I was like, how many men, men like 22 men died? So, But yeah. Rana was sentenced to life in prison and was given a fine. So the aftermath of it all. In the, uh, the aftermath of the murder, the police were accused of incompetence in their handling of the case. It was alleged that the party worker picked up revolvers that had been dumped by the killers and hid them. Three other people stayed in, um, staying in her house were accused of knowing about the revolvers. The revolvers then disappeared before the police could conduct forensic tests on them. Uh, Sher Singh Rana, the man, main accused, was convicted by the court on August 8, 2014. However, the other ten accused were acquitted. And it was also speculated that her husband, like her last husband, like he was kind of involved with the people that... Uh, had carried out her murder so i mean that was never proven but you know speculation it's not that far-fetched yeah so that is the life and death of fulan devi crazy man that's crazy i mean not not drug heavy but still a woman and gang gang related woman because i was like (laughs) i feel like i wasn't talking much because i was like so absorbed in the story so good job oh thank you interesting Thank you. I accredit it to a lot of uh, Wikipedia because this is one of like the stories, like probably the fifth story. Oh, did you hear that? That was a weird noise my mouth made. And then I was still stuck on the uh, story that we had originally written for this week. And the last minute I was like, oh, fuck, wait a second. This isn't it. We're backtracking. Yeah, I wasn't sure because I, like, I had another story picked out, but I'm like, this is way too fucking heavy. Like, I have to sit on this, completely forget about it, and then do it. Yeah. Oh, good, because mine's not really heavy. It's more like a conversation. Yeah, we're going, um, doing the Socratic method where we just present our ideas and have a discussion slash debate on it. I am down. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. Yeah. But it's in order to set up for other stories or a story I originally wanted to do. But every time I kept typing it out, I was like, uh, but but I was like arguing with myself. So I was like, let's just do a little topic about the and but and then yeah. we can talk about the rest later. <laughs> Very vague, but keeping you in the dark. I can't wait. I'm excited. Which I'm just realizing is super dark. 
<laughs> it's all spooky. I just have my little salt lamp right here. It's like a little the fire. Yeah. Let's see. Yes. All right. All right, guys. But you can find us on all our socials at Booze Podcast. That is spelled B O O Z Podcast. And that's our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, which I Gmail. I did retweet something, and I finally connected my Twitter to the booze. So I can oh, I can easily go back and forth and retweet just like the Instagram. So there is a retweet on there. <laughs> There's finally something, There's up. something <laughs> up. And I've been trying to save all the spooky things that I find. And so I can go back and comment. That reminds me I have to t- send you a meme. So I'll do that right okay, now. <laughs> yes, please do. Awesome. But yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in for another episode. I hope you guys are excited for next episode. Yes, and since this is new, like a new concept that we're doing, like recording remotely, um, please, if there is anything, it's like, I mean, we always listen to it before, but if there's just, if it sounds different on your end or anything crazy, if you can tell that this was different, please let us know so we can fix those issues. And you're also using a new mic, so there's that too. Oh, yeah, there's a bunch of newness going on, so please give us feedback. Feedback is much appreciated. Um, and if you could leave us a review wherever you listen, uh, Apple Podcasts. I don't think Spotify does anything, but if you can. yeah, I think Facebook. Anyways, yeah. You know. Yeah, but I hope you guys have a wonderful New Year's, and thank you. Yes, it's been great. And see y'all in 2020. Bye. Bye.